This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 16 of Equestrian Legends. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, and my guest this week is Betty Ann Lester. Betty Ann Gilbert Lester was born in Village Green, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, on July 5, 1933, to Clarence Mitchell Gilbert and Lila Wilson Gilbert. The second of four children and the only daughter, Betty Ann did not have horsey parents, but learned her early riding skills from her father's uncle, Peter Marshall. Growing up against the background of World War II, she soon took to the hunting field with the Rose Tree Hunt Club and Radnor Hunt, and then enjoyed competing in both hunters and jumpers. With the early influences of Bill Steinkraus and Bert Dinemothy, she found success in the international arena before switching to three-day eventing by way of hunter trials. For the past 40 years, Betty Ann has concentrated on dressage and credits Germany's Fritz Stecken and Paul Keck for instilling in her the principles of classical dressage. Betty Ann continues to school dressage horses and also enjoys teaching the next generations. Betty Ann married Donald Lester in 1955 and had four children, Patricia, Marianne, Donald, now deceased, and Wayne, as well as four grandchildren. She lives in Unionville, Pennsylvania. Well, Betty, you spent a lot of your early days with some great horsemen and women. And one of our earlier guests here on the show was a friend of yours, Bill Steinkraus. And I know you've got an interesting story to tell about him. Oh, oh, yeah, well, this is sort of, he, he may laugh when he hears this because it was years ago when I was sitting in his office with Fritz Stecken and I was discussing with him at the time and I was in my early time with a dressage that uh, Steinbrecht's book The Gymnasium of the Horse which was only in German should be printed in the United States now at that time Bill Steinkraus was the editor for um, Arco Publishing House and I said this book has been one of the most valuable books that I had ever read on on uh, the training, classical training of horses. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Betty, he said, no, no. He said, we can't, we can't uh, print that in the United States. And I said, why? He said, there are no pictures in it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the interesting upshot. If you pick up the gymnasium of the horse today that has been translated into English, you will see the foreword by William Steinkraus. And he says in his foreword that this is the, one of the most fantastic books and, and, and invaluable in the library of every horseman. So I just got a kick out of that because it took him, what, 35 years to get it printed. <laughs> well, some, uh, some he's, wonderful... he's a great guy. You know, he's done so much for our horse world. Bill Steinkraus has never been given, I think, the credit that that he should have for for what he has done to help uh, the equestrian art in the United States. 
Well, you have some wonderful memories of those great horsemen and women, not least ones the, the ones that have, have influenced you and your career. And I want to talk a lot more about that in a minute, Betty Ann. But first of all, let's let's start in those early days. You're, you've been in Pennsylvania all your life, haven't you? Oh yes, I have. Mm-hmm. And you you grew up in uh, Delaware County. That was where yes. you were born. So tell us about your very early childhood and your very earliest memories. What, what, uh, what kind of background did you grow up against? Well, m- my parents actually were not horse people. They, they were more interested. My, my father was a school teacher, and they were very much more interested in seeing me in the field of music. I, I studied music for quite a few years, and uh, but it was always in my heart second to the horses, and and I still I play the organ and piano, and and uh, that's been a big part of my life. But it's that it's, it's been very important for me in my horse world because I found that my training of the horses had to go hand in glove with music. The two both require the rhythm to make them work, don't they? Well, rhythm, because a horse is pure rhythm. The walk is pure four-beat, the trot is pure two-beat, and the canter three-beat. And the tempo must remain the same. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's what it is. And that's why classical music is always so beneficial to the training of horses. And this, of course, is something you share with Bill Steinkraus himself. Being oh, good. Well, you know, he was <laughs> trained by a very, very famous horseman that that I was also connected with at, 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 sort of in a parallel well, way, and that was Bertolin Dynamity. And, of course, Bertolin Dynamity was trained by Fritz Steckin, who was my mentor and lived in our home for about eight years and taught me. And we never rode... All of our training was always done with, with the music. Now, you said your parents were not particularly horsey, but your father's uncle, Peter, Peter Marshall, he was. He was an influence in your very early days. Oh, he was, he was very much. He's the one that really started me fox hunting and, and put me on my first pony when I was little. And, and when I was 10 years old, I, I started fox hunting alongside of him. So what was your parents' reaction then, since they wanted you to focus on... No, they on were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> they were never happy with that. They, they fussed about that all the time, but it didn't get very far. <laughs> now, you were one of four children. You have yes, th- I was. three brothers. Now, they didn't follow your interests then into the horse world. Oh, not at all. My, my older brother, who's 18 months older than I, uh, went into medicine, and he is a cardiologist and, in fact, was one of the first cardiologists to develop the pacemaker. So he was a, he was a doctor. And, and then I had two younger brothers, that one a school teacher, and uh, then he went into real estate a, a, later. So when you were growing up in Pennsylvania there, Betty Ann, at that time, uh, in, in history, what was your early influences? Were you were you interested in school, or were you one of those horse mad children that just couldn't wait to get home and and play with horses? Uh, what, what were your earliest influences and memories? Well, I think it was a mixture of both. My my father and my mother were very influential, and and I also had a dying desire to learn. Uh, education, and I didn't think of it as education, but I always was inquisitive. So 
school school was important and uh, important that I felt that that I I really uh, and of course you see I'm 78 now and when I grew up it was at a time when women were not encouraged to go on for a uh, higher education but thank goodness for one of the good things that the second world war did for us if you can call it anything is that it did uh, influence more uh, direction for education for women. What do you remember of the World War II and the, the atmosphere that you were growing in up against that? Oh, what do I remember of World War II? Yes. Oh, well, I remember Pearl Harbor. And that's, uh, you know, I think that anyone my age would remember that day and, and the reaction, that uh, the horrified reaction that we all had. And, of course, the war years. And and it was sort of interesting because later you see Fritz Decken, who was a German at the time and uh, in Germany, and uh, uh, we, we were not too happy with the Germans, but I learned to admire the Germans gr- very greatly after that but growing up you know we lost people both in 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 the uh asian front and uh, with the japanese and with the germans so it was not, it was an unpleasant time for us of course what was your father's involvement oh my dad of course was a teacher and uh he had had a very serious automobile accident so was not taken into the war. He also had four children that that wouldn't have stopped them. And afterwards, he was influential in uh, the veterans training when the the veterans were coming back and getting them back into uh, uh, jobs and and accepted into our, our life again. So, and I, you know, I remember a lot of that because there was a lot of trauma, and that was the Second World War. You know that. They even came back with, with pretty traumatized. Well, obviously so, that that was a very influential time for that generation growing up, and and yeah. and, and a different set of values. How how would you characterize your parents' values and how they prepared you for life, Betty Ann? Well, it was it, my my parents were very strict, uh, strict in a good way. You know, they they insisted that that we were educated and that we understood where our place was in the world that we didn't uh you know we were encouraged to work work hard work ethic i think for many young people in those days was a big thing you know you you put out you worked to the very best that you could possibly do so uh that's sort of the environment I had. I, you know, look back at my parents, and I hope that, as a parent, that I, I did a job as good as they did. Now, you mentioned your education came at a time when, you know, there was an attitude change amongst higher education. You went to high school, Ridley Park High School, and then went on to pre-vet school at the University of Pennsylvania. Tell us about that period of in your life and what your involvement was with horses at that time. Uh, well, at that time, it was I, I had been doing a lot of teaching and training, and my parents, because my father was a school teacher, and school teachers at that time were were not highly paid, and my brother, being in medical school, it was taking a lot of money, so I I had to earn my money to get on into school, and so that's one of the reasons I didn't finish 
because there was no money. But instead, uh, I continued, well, writing and training, teaching, uh, and I made a little bit of money with horses just because I would get, take young horses and bring them along and sell them. And I, I did a lot of taking horses into the hunting field, and they did really well in the hunting field. And, of course, people were always very anxious to buy a nice hunting horse. Well, where did you do this, Betty Ann? Did you do it at the family property, or did you have to go to a riding school for this? No, my oh, I never went to a riding school. My uncle Peter had had a horse farm, and uh, and I spent a lot of my time there. But I hunted with the Rose Tree Hunt Club, the Radnor Hunt Club, uh, which was right in my my area from the time I was little. I I fox hunted with with uh, down at William DuPont's at Fair Hill and actually hunted with Ross Taylor. He had hounds then, and I rode the whip. And I did a lot of showing over fences. I, I showed dressage is my big thing now, but it came out of my training hunters and jumpers. Uh, back in the 1950s, I guess I don't even remember the exact time. Maybe it was in the 40s, I forget. Um, the American Horse Shows Association had us uh, begin to ride against the clock, particularly for open jumping. And uh, I found that very difficult on my horses. And that uh, I, could, I could get over the fences, but I was never, I, I was many times under the clock. So that at that time, and this was sort of the opening time in my life, that I had this wonderful man come that didn't speak very good English at all, and he he saw me ride and, and encouraged me. And uh, he said, oh, he says, Betty, I come, I help. And I didn't know exactly what he meant, but he began to come several days a week and began to school me. And that was the first time I ever heard the, the terms half-halt and volte, and I learned how to ride the horse from behind. That man's name was Paul Keck. Uh, that was his Americanized name, but he was actually the best friend from Berlin to Nemesis. They were on the team together at uh, the uh, Royal Hungarian Academy in Budapest. And, of course, that was the training that that was so important for us here in the United States, and of course, Bill Steinkraus will know it only too well, how that training from Bertel and Nemethy created our team in the United States to become one of the greatest in the world. So, and that inspired me. Uh, that dressage, then I began to understand the importance of dressage and, and knew that that was where I really wanted to go. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to know more about the development of the horse and, and the right way and training. So that's sort of, you know, this was my my high point in my life when, when Paul Keck came into my life. So, so going, going back to those days when you did some hunting as a small child and then you made the progression into hunters and jumpers. Was that a natural progression then, Betty Ann, or, or was it just that that was available at that time for you to get oh, into? Oh, no, I continued both at the same time. I mean, all winter we'd fox hunt. We'd fox hunt all winter, and then in the spring we'd go to the shows and compete and 
and uh, and right up until fall and actually in the summertime we'd we'd take the hounds out and cubbing and and so uh, the horse shows and the fox hunting tied in hand in glove yes but i'm just wondering why you chose hunters and jumpers as a, as a young it was the person. thing at that day right. in those days in right. the united states in the united states that's was sort of on the east coast if you were in the West, you'd probably done Western riding, but on the East Coast, that was the big thing that we did, hunters and jumpers, equitation classes. Uh, there were other phase fields, too, like the uh, American Saddlebred and so forth. I was not involved with that, but um, that was what we did in those days. We did not have eventing in our country uh, at that time, we had hunter trials and the hunt races, which I participated in. But then you see the dressage came and the eventing. But it, that was not until it, right after the Second World War. Uh, and I guess at 1948 might have been a pivotal time that we here in the United States began to... Uh, appreciate that we needed to compete internationally and at that time we uh, then brought in the beginnings of understanding dressage doing the eventing and it wasn't until 1952 that we represented and without being in the military because previous to that, it was always the military that that was an international competition. Then we phased out through General Henry to uh, the civilians, and of course that's when Bill Steinkraus and Hugh Wiley, and you know the when they all became very well known. And then at that time, they did uh, begin to allow women to compete against men. Before that, women could not compete internationally against men. So in 1952, Marjorie Haynes, who then became Marjorie Gill, and many people know her husband, Harry Gill, and Idle Dice, and who were great jumpers, but Marjorie Gill was about 21 and 22 years old. And she was trained under Fritz Stecken on a horse that was a prize of war from the Second World War, and that horse's name was Flying Dutchman. And Marjorie went to Helsinki, Finland, to compete in the Olympic competition. She did go uh, previously to that to international, uh, many international shows in Europe, so that with our team, it was extremely difficult for her. Actually, I have, and I can say it now, but there was a time when I wouldn't have, I have a complete chronicle of everything that happened to her at that time to make it very, very difficult for an American woman in international competition. But that's another story. Then in 1952, Marjorie went to the Olympic Games under Fritz Stecken, and at the same time, Gunnar Anderson, who was a great friend of Fritz Stecken's, they had always competed together, trained... Liz Hartel on a mare called Jubileum. Nobody knew that until the Olympics came out, that that, that uh, pairing with Liz Hartel and Jubileum. The interesting thing is Liz Hartel won the silver medal 
And the important thing to remember is that she was a woman and that she had had polio and was partially handicapped from polio. So, you know, these are all things that are, were part of my, my life because they were inspirations to me. And uh, so I sort of bring that up in my talk because they are an important part of, you know, what it was to be in dressage in the United States at that time. Of course, a very, very influential. And I'm curious, you know, before you got working with these people and, and were rubbing shoulders with the Bert Denemethys and the Bill Steinkrauses and so on, when you were looking at the sport as an outsider and as a young girl, who would have been your the people that inspired you then um, in, in, that were actively competitive at that time? Mm, oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness sakes alive. There were quite a few uh, that I... They were mostly more local. There was Ike Grice. There was Frankie Glover. Those names wouldn't mean a thing to you, but they were, at, at that time, real, uh, you know, competitors. Um, in the shows, let's say, there was Colonel Kitts, who was the father of the current Colonel Kitts, um, uh, a lot of different horsemen in the area. Oh, goodness, there was a, uh, uh, an Irishman uh, that I worked with, um, Dick Atkinson. Dick Atkinson, the old senior, not the Dick Atkinson that would have been the senior now, <laughs> way back. I mean, they he was a fantastic horseman. Uh, trained his son to go to Dublin in the open jumpers in the big, big competition, I guess the Grand, Nas Grand National of Ireland. But they were the ones that were my inspiration and also my teachers. I, they, they did teach me. I, I went and, and they were not easy on me. I mean, I, I had to ride horses that sometimes if my parents had been out there where I was, they might have had a fit. But that they were tough trainers. They were tough teachers. They they were uh, real horsemen. And they'd put you up on a horse and say, you sit there and keep your feet tight, keep your legs, your heels down, and, and don't cry. No crying and, and riding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I had old Dick Atkinson tie my toes together in front one time because around the horse, around the front because he he I, he said I stuck my toes out too much and it was all right until the mare came down over a fence and fell, <laughs> and and I got beat up a bit too. <laughs> But, but, you know, and they, yes, they inspired me. They inspired me to know that training horses must be done with understanding and love and never with force and teaching. You never raise your voice. The student doesn't come out there to be yelled at. The military technique of training is wrong. So, yes, that's, I guess, you can say I've got my inspiration from some tough old horsemen. Now, tell us about the competitions, uh, the horse shows that you rode in that you maybe had some favorite uh, venues, did you, at the time that you enjoyed uh, showing at? Oh, it was sort of fun. Harrisburg Horse Show was always fun. Um, good competitors came in. Um, Devon Horse Show was not like it is today. It, it was a fun show. We, we showed at Devon. Um, 
I didn't travel abroad as much when I was younger. I, I had to stay more in this area because we didn't, uh, you know, my parents weren't ready to cart me off across the country to be on a horse. So, uh, but then as I grew older and I was in on the early, uh, I know that you know dressage at Devon now, but I was uh, in on the very beginning of dressage at Devon and was one of the founding peeper, people for um, the Delaware Valley Combined Training Association that is really a big organization now in this country and was the starting of uh, dressage at Devon and the other events that we had that now are like at Fair Hill and and all of those were originally founded by the work that we did with the Delaware Valley Combined Training Association. And you also did some competing in hunter trials too, didn't you? Oh yes, I did hunter trials, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And taught that you to, a, with your with your hunting background and then going hunter trials as well. And did that let did that lead you to having a go at eventing? Well, yes, it did because it it went right into eventing. That because then you see, the 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 competing became a little bit more specialized. Um, then you you needed to begin to understand what dressage was about. And that was my strong point because dressage became my, my real love at that time. And I love the, the galloping over fences. The other thing, too, I have to say that at this time I was married and had had my first child when I, when I, got, when I was doing the eventing. And uh, I backed off uh, quite a bit from the eventing. It didn't challenge me either. I mean, first of all, I couldn't take a chance on getting hurt, and some of the horses that I ended up riding were tough horses, and because I couldn't, I didn't have the money to go out and buy horses that had been trained by anybody else or that that were really top draw horses. I had some good horses, then, and I'm I was very very fortunate. I I was very fortunate to have the trainers and the horses that I had, but it was just through good fortune that that happened to me. And then, of course, uh, with the eventing, I, I began to phase out of eventing. I continued fox hunting uh, oh, for quite a few years, but then came the dressage. I worked with Bent Lundquist from Sweden, and I went to Europe in 1974 with our world championship team, not to compete, but I went with them and then to have lessons there with um, uh, some of the dressage masters in Germany. Well, you but, mentioned that you got married. You married in 1955 to your husband, hus- current husband, Donald Lester. Yes. Uh, tell us how you two met. Do you remember how he proposed? Uh, tell us the story. <laughs> how did I meet him? Well, we have a picture here of us sitting together on the steps at my parents' house. I think I was five and he was six. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up together, and uh, his parents and my parents were very close. And I don't know, he went into the service. It just seemed he was sort of like a brother in a way, but it, it just one thing led to another. So I guess there was never anybody else. As far as uh, proposing to me, yeah, he was in the submarine Navy, and I think that... He wrote a letter one night when he was deep down under the Mediterranean Ocean, and and that was, you know, 
that was the beginning of it. Uh, was that the proposal that came via airmail? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, he first sent it to my parents. I didn't even know he was doing it, and they raised Cain about that. Because <laughs> 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 they didn't know. I, hey, oh, that's... Uh, I didn't even know he was going to propose to me. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, you know. So how long did you have to wait from the time that you accept you saw him again and accepted and, and then got married? Tell us that story. Well, oh, goodness. You know, he didn't come home until that following spring. And then he wanted me to get married while he was still in the service. And I said, absolutely not. He was stationed at Key West, Florida. And I said, do you know how much hay costs in Florida? <laughs> No way. I'm not leaving my horse. So it was two years. He, By the way, he married me for better and for horse. And where did you spend your honeymoon? Oh, uh, up in the Poconos. Right. And then uh, you had a family, as you say, you were already competing when you had uh, Patricia and you had uh, altogether four children. Yes, now. I had Patricia and then I had Marianne and then I had Donnie. They were each about 18 months apart, and then four years later, I had Wayne. Now, have they inherited any of the horse genes? Uh, my daughters both rode with me. My son, Donnie, was my right arm. He was my he was with me in the barn, and, and unfortunately, uh, well, that's a little part of my unhappy history. And I was competing and had been... Uh, competing internationally well in this country i'd been competing in some pretty big competition had some nice horses but my son was killed and that put a kibosh on it all i sort of quit at that time he he was killed on our farm right so i that but he was a great great help for me you know he'd go to the horse shows with me he he rode and it wasn't his love to become a great rider, but he, he was very much interested in the horses. So, And both of my daughters rode with me, and they grew up, you know, they went away to college, and both of them have very good careers now. Now, you were focusing on dressage at this time then, Betty-Ann, and you'd obviously... Definitely, you, yep. Did you give up jumping altogether to focus exclusively? Yeah, we, we always dumped our horses a little bit because that's all part of what they need to do. Horses need to be taken out and ridden up and down hills across country and, and jumped over fences, but not as a discipline, only to, co- to continue the development of their body. Fritz and Bent Lundquist and uh, the, uh, the trainers and, and Paul Keck were always extremely influential with me and insisted that I learn anatomy and physiology. And, of course, then I, I went to the University of Pennsylvania Large Animal Hospital and, and took many of the courses there so that I have a, had a complete understanding of, of anatomy and physiology. Uh, I did all the lameness courses. I did all of the radiation courses and everything, because not because I needed a degree, but because I needed to know. I don't understand the horse's body. You don't train something if you don't understand it inside and out. Right. And so, so that's what I was concentrating on that at that time, and and spending many many hours, you know, really becoming completely educated not just from one leg on each side on a horse but but i i believe my 
one of the big things that I believe in is knowledge and understanding. And only through the understanding of the classical art of dressage that we have been fortunate to have from the great masters, that only through that can we become great horsemen. Uh, and that's that's if you know right now if I give a lecture and if you read my autobiography you'll find that that was my emphasis always on understanding the four greatest mas- classical masters in the world and since those four no others have existed because there's nothing new no. the horse still only has four legs a head and a tail and his body is exactly the same that it was 350 years ago under Zonathan. So that's sort of my, uh, you know, I get off on a kick sometime, and that's what it is. Well, looking at your career and that you've participated in so many different disciplines, Betty Ann, was there anything or is there anything that intimidates you as a rider? People. (laughs) (laughs) People, (laughs) yes. People, when they, you know... Sometimes I get backed off from from the you know people that overextend a horse or don't understand them, and I can get intimidated a little bit. But as far as if you're saying, was have I ever been afraid uh, or anything like that in the training? No, not really. I mean, a horse is a horse, and like two days ago. My horse rolled over on top of me, but that was okay. <laughs> he got up, and I got up, and we're fine. And no, I'm not intimidated by anything except the politics of of the horseshoe ring, particularly you know what I see now in the dressage arena and and what is happening in our country uh, backs me off and intimidates me to put my head or under the covers and stay out of it. And, and what has helped you to overcome adversity, uh, both in the sport and in life, Betty Ann? To overcome adversity? Mm-hmm. There's only one way you un- overcome adversity, whether it's with horses or anything else. You keep two legs down underneath of you and your head in the middle. Because otherwise, you know, I mean, every one of us has run into adversity and you find out the answers and, and, and if you can change something, you go ahead and change it. And if you can't change it, well, then just go, just keep on going. Now, you have a warm blood and you're still involved actively riding and are you com- competing at all these days, Betty Ann? I'm I'm not competing, but I've said to some of my students that uh, I would like for maybe one of them to take. I have this wonderful Danish warm blood. He's uh, a Donner Hall. He's by a horse from Denmark called Donner Hall. Actually, a grandson of Donner Hall. Beautiful horse, a very fine mover, very talented horse. And uh, I'm enjoying him every single day because it's just like he's just, very, very keen, good mover, and uh, I find it at 78 difficult to ride the way that I used to, but I do, and when I have him finish trained, but I will not really compete him uh, unless he's going fourth level and up, 
because otherwise, you know, the shows aren't set up to give a good foundation for a dressage horse. And that's another subject. But, uh, no, this this is a very fine horse. I hope I live long enough to bring him to Grand Prix. And as you say, he's a Danish warm blood, but you did have some experience with saddlebreds, didn't you? And that Oh, my goodness, yes. My first horse was uh, uh, that that I had trained to Grand Prix was uh, an American saddlebred. His name was Determination. I had some wonderful pictures of him. And uh, the thing that happened, you see, is that my, uh, my Irish bred horses and my uh, warm bloods when Fritz Stecken came to live with us in the 60s, the first thing that he did is he looked at my horse and he says, no, these are not horses for an American lady. He said, I, I don't want... And and I had a wonderful horse that was by Philip Hoffman's stallion, Hercules, and Fritz wouldn't let me compete on him, but I did take him and I won... The, the dressage for the Pan Am uh, tryouts in, in, up in New Jersey on this horse, but he had me sell him because he was a warm blood. And that was when he insisted that I would get thoroughbreds and American saddlebreds, and that's how he ended up with my first saddlebred. I would never have bought one because I didn't know that much about them. But since then, I have found they're fantastic horses, and they are American. And, of course, that's the one thing Fritz said. Americans should show show on American horses and uh, not on, on European horses. Besides that, he said, we Germans aren't stupid. He said, we're not sending our good horses to you Americans. So he says, you get our grade B horses and then come back to Germany to compete. <laughs> so... And, so I don't know if, if you know anything about Fritz Stecken, but I know many, many of the old horse people out there, they knew who I'm talking about when I talk about Fritz Stecken and Richard Vachen. And Albert Stecken was the director of the uh, West German Olympic Committee for many years. So when you look back on your career with horses, Betty Ann, what accomplishments would you be most proud of? Oh, goodness. You know, my students, my students and seeing them continue and and that they maintain, you know, the all understanding that lightness and flexibility and self-carriage is, was the key. And when I see my students out there competing now and winning, and I just am so pleased and proud of them. I have a young girl right now, in fact, 13 years old, and I took her to the stallion tryouts last fall down at Hilltop, which is a big breeding farm here uh, of warm bloods, and she went for the uh, confirmation trials. And when I watch that young girl ride and I work with her, it just gives me a thrill. So that's that's the big thing right now is, is seeing young people and 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 their enthusiasm. And what would have been your most memorable moments with horses? Would it be in competition or the horses that you've reared at home? Yeah, my most memorable, I think, was probably when I competed against uh, Karl Makolka, who was from Austria. 
And uh, I, he and I ended up with scores so much higher than anyone else's, and I whooped him. <laughs> <laughs> and I came out of the ring that day really proud. That was the time when I was really training very hard, and that was a special time. It was, you know, he was a fine rider. He was a really good rider. So, and my horse that day, it was, he was like he was was flying above the ground. He was so good. What a, you know, it was a great test. Well, we know that you're an accomplished pianist and organist. Do you still play, Betty Ann? Is it still something you enjoy to do? Oh, yes. Yes, I actually, I, I, I have a, a German organ, too. <laughs> Yeah, I have a Wersey organ, and I do play the organ, and and I've even done a couple of concerts, and up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, for the Dutchland Festival, and uh, that's been fun. But that's secondary, you know. It's just uh, the the music, the music, and the horses just go together. And how about books and literature and art? Did, have they played a part in your life? Oh, yes. Oh, very much so. Are you, yes. a, are you a keen reader? I am. I read all the time as much as I possibly can. Now, would they be horse books or other books? Um, I read a lot of horse books. Uh, I, le- I read uh, not, well, let's see. I do actually have a funny one right here now and right alongside of me, that uh, most of the books that I read are a little bit more technical, but this one is Horses Never Lie About Love, and it's by Jana Harris, and that's right at my fingertips. I read all the time. I read uh, about many things, not just horses. And so at the end of the day, Betty Ann, when you close your door, uh, what has meant the most to you, and how would you like to be remembered as a horsewoman? I guess that what I would like to be remembered is that I I I I help to make the lives of horses and people better and 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 give people, you know, the understanding of what a wonderful gift we have been given in the horse and, and how it enhances our lives and you know, and anything that I can do to make make the life of a, of these young people coming up and have them understand how important it is to really understand the horse. I know that I wish that every horseman in the United States would get a hold of that book by Dr. Gerd Hirschman from Germany, and it's called Tug of War. But I wish that everybody in 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 the United States or in the world that that proposes to be a horseman that they would would understand what he's trying to tell us. And so what would your message be to young people then that want to make a profession with horses? I would tell them to study the horse in every aspect, to understanding physically and psychologically in every respect, and to spend hours and hours of time and know that you will never, ever completely know it. Well, Betty Ann, I know that you've been an inspiration to so many people, and I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your memories. Well, it was fun for me because I've I've thought of things that I haven't thought of for years. <laughs> so you've sort of st- stimulated my memory to, to remember. 
thanks a lot for having me. I hope you'll join me again next time when we visit the life of another equestrian legend. (laughs) 